Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles now and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And I hope you're enjoying our study of Ephesians as much as I am preparing for it each Sunday. We just have two more Sundays in the book of Ephesians. Between those two Sundays, I'm going to preach a message on the doctrine of sola fide to prepare us for Reformation Day on October 31st. But today our text, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Remember this section of scripture has to do with relationships. He talked about relationships in the church then relationships in the home between husbands and wives and children and parents. And now we come to another relationship that takes up a lot of time, if you're like most of us, and that is our relationships at work. And so it's good to know that God cares about our relationships there as well. And so this is what he says. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether free or slave. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and that there's no partiality with him. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this his word. Now, one of the principles of hermeneutics Hermeneutics is the science of the interpretation of Scripture. One of the basic core values of hermeneutics is that we are to interpret Scripture in light of its historical context. That is, we need to learn as much about the culture of the time of the people to which Paul was originally writing. We know that this letter was written in the first century A.D. to Christians living in and around the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a cosmopolitan city, teamed constantly with travelers and tradesmen and merchants from all over the world. It was, of course, part of the Roman Empire and an important part of the Roman Empire, and so was subject to Roman law and Roman philosophy and norms. And in the Roman Empire, slavery was not only legal, it was ubiquitous. That is, it was everywhere. In fact, the whole culture was built around the institution of slavery. And so when Paul says, slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, that word there from the core word doulos is often translated slaves. Literally, it means bond servant, someone who has obligations to another person. So obviously and thankfully, we no longer have institutional slavery in this culture. Um, but in that part of the world, they did. And some people get upset because Paul does not try to end slavery. He simply talks to slaves and masters and tells them how to have relationships that are pleasing to the Lord. In fact, the entire New Testament is almost silent on the institution of slavery, but it has everything to do with about how we treat one another. Paul's purpose was not to start a rebellion. Paul's purpose was to preach the gospel and then to teach people how to walk with the Lord. Now, I did write a major paper when I was in seminary on what the Bible has to say about slavery. And I don't know, but I'm sure it's probably under bulletproof glass on display down in the library somewhere if you ever, ever wanna read it. But I won't bore you with that today. Suffice it to say 
the Bible never endorses the institution of slavery, simply writes into its context. The principles, though, of Christian relationships are the same, and they apply to our economy today in the workplace. So my aim this morning is to address my message in that way because almost all of us have those sorts of relationships. We tend, though, to compartmentalize our lives as Christians living in the 21st century. Whether we could articulate it or not, we live as if we go to church on Sunday and we have our relationships there. And then on Monday morning, we put on our work hat and our work face and we go to work. And oftentimes, never the twain shall meet. There's not much of a visible relationship with our life as a Christian on Sunday and the rest of the week. And this ought not to be. In fact, the Bible says... Christ is our life if we are a Christian. And so it stands to reason the 40 or 50 or 60 or 80 hours a week we spend at work need to be saturated with Christ likeness. And so that's the aim today. And first thing he says about those relationships is they need to be based on sincere service. Sincere service. Most of us have had at least one work situation in our life that was difficult. Maybe more than one. Maybe that's where some of you find yourself right now dreading the alarm clock going off in the morning because you dread going to that job. Maybe you have an overbearing boss. Maybe you feel underappreciated and overworked. Maybe you have a job that is monotonous and unchallenging. I hope none of our staff here say amen today. (laughs) Maybe you feel like there are unrealistic expectations placed on you. Maybe you don't even see the point of working hard because you feel like you're in a dead end with no chance of advancement, there is a word for you today. While there's nothing wrong with a rightly focused ambition, the primary reason for Christians to be good employees is not to get a raise or a better office or even another week's vacation. Paul indicates that we should be driven as Christian employees to please our real boss who is Jesus. Verse six seems to indicate this when he says, not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. And so this morning we want to see that Christ is our true master. But he says we do have earthly masters. Now when he says we have earthly masters, that implies that we have a heavenly master, right? Who is above them. Those things which are described as earthly or temporary or physical are those things which are passing away. They're momentary but our spiritual lives are eternal. Just as the human body is temporal and temporary, our souls are built to be eternal. But he addresses himself to the temporal. He says, first of all, obey those earthly bosses. It's the same instructions he gave to children, to their parents. It also, I think, comes with the caveat, so far as they don't ask you to sin, right? Just as we said no wife should submit to her husband if it would cause her to sin and no child should obey a parent's command to sin, so an employee who's a Christian is not under obligation to obey a boss who leads them to sin. He says, do this with fear and trembling. That's not to say when your boss walks in the room you're to fall down on the ground and bow down uh, as Nebuchadnezzar required of of those under him. It's, It's not that you are literally afraid of him. Rather, it's the fear of dishonoring the name of the Lord by not being a good employee, the fear of offending your true master. 
He says the way to do that is to serve out of sincerity of heart. King James calls it singleness of heart. That's good because singleness of heart is the opposite of duplicity, of being two-faced. That is pretending to be a good employee when the boss is around, but not really being when he's not. My office is up on the third floor and it faces north out onto Keller Middle School. And during the day at Keller Middle School, and I've been watching this phenomenon for eight years now since we built the new building, during PE, and when the weather's nice, the PE coach takes, I don't know, 150 kids at a time outside to run laps around the school. And they'll start here on the corner of College Street and they'll go down and all the way down by the football field and around. It's quite a, quite a big loop. But the coach can only be in one place at the time. So he usually parks himself up on the north side where he can watch at least two thirds of the, of the lap. But that one third he can't see, I can see. And so the kids start out real hard and when they get near the coach, boy, they're really chugging and they get down to this corner where he can't see and almost all of them come to a complete stop. <laughs> Every day they do this. And they visit and they walk very slowly to the next corner and then they take off running again. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, don't be a two-faced employee. Pretending to be a hard worker when the boss is around, but not so much when he's not. The Lord sees because he is our heavenly boss. You say, well, pastor, that's easy for you to say. You don't know my boss. Well, I don't probably, but I do know what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2. And he says this, servants be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. He goes on to say that this finds favor with the Lord. When you bear up under an unreasonable boss and you don't lose your temper and you keep your Christian dignity, it gives honor to God and it finds favor with the Lord. The truth is all of our life viewed holistically, which is the way we're supposed to view it, is a stewardship, isn't it? Paul viewed his life that way in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, you know my favorite verse if you regard us, regard us as slaves of Jesus Christ and stewards of the ministries of the gospel. Paul viewed himself as a slave, not of the Roman government, not of the church, but of Christ, because Christ had set him free from the penalty and power of sin, set him free not to live any way he chose, but now set free to serve Christ. And he knew that he would give an account one day of how he lived that life, so he viewed himself as a steward, a manager of property belonging to another. So if you're a, an employee, you really are a manager of that which belongs to the business owner, but more importantly, you're a manager of the time, talent, and treasure that you bring to that work environment, to God. This really points to the doctrine of redemption, doesn't it? The scripture says that all of us before we were saved were slaves to sin. And the word redeem is for someone who would come to that marketplace where slaves were bought and sold and pay the price to set the slave free. And that's what Jesus did. And so now we're free to serve, not under bondage or an obligation, but in freedom. Paul says it was for freedom's sake that he set us free. But even in that context, we have obligations. And so here are some practical biblical principles. I believe they're practical and I believe they're biblical 
for being a good employee. Number one is regularly pray for your employer. You say, what if he's no good? Pray harder. <laughs> the Bible says, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. And so if you feel you've been spitefully used by your boss, it's a reason to pray, not to complain. I want you to know that I, I pray for you men and women all the time that are in the workforce. I know I have a great privilege and the other pastors here of being around Christians all day and all the time. And it's not like that for almost any of you in the work environment. Some of you are blessed to have Christian bosses or work for Christian business owners. Some of you own your own business. But we need godly men and women in business to create jobs so that we can fulfill our other commands to take care of our family and bless those who are less fortunate and give to the causes of Christ in their local church. Here's another principle, work hard. The Bible says that whatever your hand finds to do it, do it as unto the Lord heartily. Do not violate your conscience or the scriptures. If you're asked to do something unethical or illegal, say no. Use your Christian influence wisely. And you have influence whether you know it or not. The Bible is full of those godly men and women who were under authority who used their influence wisely to bring honor and glory to God. I think of Daniel. I think of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. I think of Joseph of the Old Testament. The Bible is full of those kinds of examples. And then finally, if you can't do any or all of those things because it's such an untenable situation, find another job. Don't lose your Christian witness over it, right? Aren't you glad that we live in a country that if you don't like the job you have, you can go somewhere else? I remember traveling to the Eastern Communist Bloc nations after um, the Berlin Wall fell. And they were taking their first baby steps into capitalism. And so you had restaurants opening up where there had been none and competition where there had been none. But something I noticed is that the service in these establishments was horrible. But it was obvious why. Because those people who were workers never before had any reason to work hard. Did you know in Russia where I spent a summer, the children in the orphanages there are tested for aptitude at the age of four. And whatever they test at the age of four is the line they're placed in the rest of their life. If they test high intellectually, they're put in a track to go to university. If they track low intellectually, they're usually sent out to the potato fields where they will be the rest of their life with no opportunity to do that which they are uniquely called or gifted to do. And I'm convinced one of the reasons that communism was such a failure is that very thing. Is that God created us to be creative and productive. The first commandment he gave Adam and Eve was go forth and what? Multiply. Be productive. And when that is stifled, there's usually sadness. But we live in a country where you can do something else. The second point I want to make is keep a future focus. Look at verse 7. Speaking of the work relationship with good will render service as to the Lord and not unto men. With good will. That speaks of our attitude, doesn't it? 
attitude about work. I often think of Mrs. Pearl Miller here, who a lot of you newcomers never met, but lived to be 99 years old, was a faithful servant here for many years. And the thing that is branded to my consciousness that she used to say is this. She'd say, Keith, at my age, the only thing I have that I get to choose is my attitude. And really, that's true of all of us to some level or another, depending upon our station in life or our health or where we are, many of our choices will be removed from us, but we always will have the choice to render service with goodwill, with a good attitude. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3.23, wherever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord rather than for men. Even if you have the worst boss in the world, you as a Christian can be a good employee if you go to work every day with the ambition to please the Lord. And by the way, remember this, no matter how bad it gets at work, this too will pass. We're just pilgrims, sojourners. This isn't our home. And this is the promise. He says, knowing, verse 8, that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. I have a pastor friend who has a, a framed cross stitching under glass on his wall that says this, serving the Lord doesn't always pay much but the retirement is out of this world. That's what he's saying here. The Lord has promised to reward the good and faithful servant. Now don't get this confused with karma. Karma is a pagan concept from pagan Eastern religions that if you put out good vibes, good things will come to you. That's the Oprahization of Christianity and it isn't true. The Bible says that if we are good and faithful servants here, the Lord will reward us in heaven. And what's more important, rewards here are in heaven. The Bible says those rewards here are like wood, hay, and stubble. They're going to be burned up one day with fervent heat. But that which we lay up in heaven is tried in the fire. It's gold and silver and precious stones. If you go to work every day with an eye to please the Savior, the Savior, no effort of yours will ever be wasted or be in vain. Let's keep a future focus. Thirdly, he speaks here of reciprocal respect. Look at verse 8. Knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this will be received back from the Lord, whether slave or free. Now, again, he transitions, slave or free. He's addressed the slave or the employee in our context, and now he turns his attention, verse 9, to the boss, the master. He says in verse 9, and masters do the same things to them. I take it from that, render service with goodwill from the heart. And give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. I think that's one of the key verses in all the Bible. I never really had understood that until we spent about two years on Wednesday night here going through the book of Romans. And you cannot understand the book of Romans unless you understand Romans 2.11, which says there is no partiality with God. And when he says that, in this context, he's speaking of judgment. He's talking about the difference of those who have the law, the Jews, and those who don't have the law, the Gentiles. He said both of them are going to stand before their creator and give account and be judged. There is no partiality with God. And here he applies that same principle, not to Gentiles and Jews, but to slave and free. There is no partiality with God. Paul says the same thing in the 
Galatians 3.18, when he says, in the church, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So, so the implication is there will be bosses in the church and there will be employees in the church, but understand that in the context of the church, one is not greater than the other. But does that mean then that if you work for a Christian boss, that you don't have to work hard because we got this thing going. We're brothers and sisters, right? Or you don't have to give him respect as your employer because we're equal in the eyes of God. Not at all what he's saying. No more than he's saying that in the home that a wife is not to submit to her husband because they're equal. We would agree they're equal, right, in the eyes of God. But God is a God of order and so there has to be that relationship in the home. Children are not less than their parents in worth, and yet in God's economy, there's order. There's the parent and there's the child. Children, obey your parents. Parents, bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And in the church, we have pastors and we have deacons and we have those who are evangelists and we have others. Does it mean that if you're not a pastor or deacon or evangelist, you're worth less in the eyes of God than those who aren't? No. But it means God has given to every institution of his order. And in the workplace, he expects us to maintain that order. In fact, Paul later says that if you're a Christian working for a Christian boss, you ought to even be a better employee because he's a brother. And you ought to treat a brother with respect and dignity. In short, he's saying to Christian bosses, supervisors, masters, treat them as brothers or sisters worthy of honor and respect. And by the way, I said that Paul doesn't address himself to the institution of slavery, but if you look back historically, the influence on those who applied these verses, who treated others with respect and dignity, led, I believe, to the downfall of institutionalized slavery. It certainly did in this country. It did in England under the influence of godly men like William Wilberforce and the Wesley brothers here in the United States that Christian influence brought to bear led to the end of slavery. But I want to give a word to bosses today. I gave a, some godly principles to be a good employee. Let me, let me give you some to be a good employer. Number one, don't view your employees as a means to personal enrichment. This not only happens in the workplace, sometimes it happens in the church. I had a friend who was on staff at a church and the new pastor came in and the first meeting around the table on Monday morning, he said this to his staff, you all exist to make me look good. Your job is to make me look good all the time. That's what he said. That's not the truth. Don't view your employees as means to personal enrichment. That's Roman philosophy, right? Roman law and Roman philosophy said if you were the head of the household, you were a little king on earth. Your slaves, your children, your wives were just property to advance your agenda. And when they ceased to do that, you could get rid of any and all of them. In fact, one Roman philosopher compared slaves to hammers and chisels and plows. And he says the only difference between a slave or other tools is that the slave can talk and the plow can't. That's how they view people. Not to be that way among Christians. Don't view employees as a means to personal gain. Secondly, view them as a stewardship from God. 
right? Just as you have stewardship of your finances, you have stewardship of your family, as a business owner or a supervisor, you have a stewardship of those under you. Be concerned with their personal lives and their unique problems. Don't view them as interchangeable pieces. Be reasonable with your expectations. Set them high, sure, but then help your employees achieve those. And give them an opportunity to advance. That's a biblical concept. Scripture says if you're faithful over little, little God will make you ruler over much, right? And we try to practice that. Here, I, I'm thrilled that our church loves to hire from within. <laughs> Matt Perkinson, a, a chief example of this, and Tony Richmond and Casey Lewis, young men who came here as college students, seminary students who were faithful and continued to advance, and you saw in them these leadership skills, and they were given more responsibility. That's a biblical principle. Here's another one, and this is so countercultural, it may be shocking to you. As a business owner, you should put the needs of your employees ahead of your own. Meaning, when it comes time to give out bonuses and set salaries and, and benefits, be concerned about their needs. Set a good example. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Jesus wasn't. In fact, when, when Jesus, who certainly had authority over his disciples, wanted to set an example for them, remember what he did. He cinched up his robe. He got a basin of water. He got down on his hands and knees. He washed their feet. And they never forgot that, I can assure you. Let your employees share in the fruits of their labor. That is, be generous when you make a profit. Share it with others. And then finally, minister to them in their time of need. Your employees are just like you. They have the same problems you have. They have aging parents. They have personal sicknesses. They have problems with their children. Oftentimes, as a Christian boss, business owner, this will give you an inroad into sharing the gospel with them like you'll never have before if you're kind to them and minister to them in their time of need. And then he says, give up threatening. I, I can't tell you how foreign this was to that culture. Their entire culture was built on threatening. <laughs> that is the fear of a slave running away and getting caught and being crucified or, or beaten to a pulp if he talked back. Paul says a Christian, you, you don't do that. You don't have to beat your chest like a 600-pound silverback gorilla to get your way. No one wants to work for a boss like that. And, and by the way, if you always have to tell people you're in charge, you're really not. Occasionally, you have to remind people of the roles that they have, but to do that even in Christian love. Don't hear me sounding like I'm against business. I'm not. We need godly businesswomen and men in the workplace to provide jobs so that people can obey God's command to take care of their family and to be fruitful and productive. We need your businesses to thrive so that you can continue to support missions and the ministries of the church. But more important than the bottom line and more important than a profit is are you honoring God in the workplace? Whether you're the first year green employee 
or you're the CEO with the corner office. God has expectations on Christians and how they serve in the workplace. And the Bible unfolds them clearly without apology today. May the Lord help us to apply these principles to our life this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And I thank you for the men and women in this church. Many of them get up and go to work every day and they're the only Christian in the workplace. And Lord, I can imagine that it's discouraging. And so I pray you'd encourage their heart. I pray that you would uh, help them to find Christian friends that could offer mutual support to one another. Lord, I pray that all of us would use our influence for Christ wisely in every sphere of our life, including our place of employment. I pray for Christian employees that we would serve unto the Lord and not unto men, that we'd set good examples for others, and that we would be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us from our fellow employees. Lord, I pray for Christian business owners and bosses and supervisors today. Help us to give up threatening, treat people as Jesus did with kindness and dignity, always setting a godly example for them every day. And Lord, to the degree that we do this, we know that we'll be pleasing you. So we offer these prayers in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.